Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It will be a fight. And there'll be a lot of death, unfortunately. It will be a fight we will win. But a lot less death. But there will be death. People should be actually kept out of the country for at least 28 days. America is not prepared. G'day ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Butterfield Effect, the podcast that asks many questions and has many answers. It's great to have you here. Uh, it's been a big week for me. A massive merch drop happened just uh, two days ago on Tuesday and I'll tell you what, it has been absolutely incredible, the amount of people that have got behind the channel and had the channels back this week, jumping in on that fantastic merch. Holy dooly, and it's all selling really quick. If you haven't had a chance to go and check it out, go and check it out at IsaacButterfield.shop. It's the biggest merch drop in Australian YouTube history. So go and suss it out, because it's pretty not bloody bad. Ladies and gentlemen, today's show is all about this book right here that isn't being picked up by my green screen. There it is. Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. Um, now, this book is by Abigail Schreier. Now, she is a journalist. She is a writer. She is an author. And the reason I bought this book is because it's talking about a subject that freaks people out. It says right here, Abigail Schreier, a writer for the Wall Street Journal, has dug deep into the trans epidemic, talking to girls, their agonised parents, and the counsellors and doctors who enable gender transitions as well as detransitioners, young women who bitterly regret what they have done to themselves. Now, this book is something that's opened her up to a lot of criticism. And I think it's very important in our, um, in our world right now where so many people demand that you do not talk about things that you're not allowed to. And this is one of those subjects where you just are not allowed to bloody talk about it at all. Now, whether or not you believe that she is correct with her arguments or her opinions, the fact of the matter remains that you need to have these conversations. Otherwise, we can't get to the bottom of the truth. Now, ladies and gentlemen, um, I very much enjoyed this podcast. I think she's a very interesting lady and I think her points are, and that's why I bought the book. I heard about uh, this book on Joe Rogan's podcast. And excuse me for being in reverse, but this is a, for some reason it's in reverse. You can get it on Amazon and the link will be down below. But I heard her on Joe Rogan's podcast and I thought this lady has uh, some very interesting points and she is uh, possibly correct in most of them. And I think she will echo what a lot of you are thinking, but not allowed to say. Anyway, this is my chat with Abigail Schreier. Hello, Abigail. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thanks so much for having me on. It's great to be here. Fantastic. Now, where are you located? Are you, are you in America at the moment? It seems like it's a very uh, interesting part of the world. Seems to be. I'm in Los Angeles. All right. Um, how are you guys faring down there? It seems like uh, from from the reports, at least we get here, and and by you know sifting through Twitter, it seems like it's a very uh, uh, it's it's at boiling point, perhaps at the moment. Maybe is a good way to describe it. 
Yeah, a lot, a lot of cities seem to be. We're, we're not in the midst of a lot of, we don't have <clears throat> riots going on right now like they have in Wisconsin, but um, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a little bit of a scary time. Yeah, I mean, coming up to the election in November, I mean, does this, oh, there's a lot of conspiratorial angles thinking that, uh, you know, post-election, everything just disappears and it's back to normal. Is that something that people are thinking over there or is this just, um, is it just so much is going on and there's so many uh, people who are angry and upset on both sides, the political spectrum, that they're just finally just, you know, at boiling point, they're just attacking each other, do you think? So I think we did this, you know, mass experiment, which we forced all these people to act like invalids and stay at home <clears> for months <throat> on end, some of whom could not go to work. They couldn't see their friends. They couldn't go to work. We, we, they couldn't go to church. They, we stopped them from engaging in all kinds of healthy activities for months and months and months. Many of them lost their jobs. They're, they're financially, you know, insecure. And so there's a lot of anger. And I think, you know, looking back, I would never have predicted it, but looking back, it, it sort of looks unsurprising that there would be so much, so much anger and there's no, look, they, a lot of these people can't even wear, they've closed our parks in, in you know, many instances for, they couldn't go outside and play games. They couldn't do a lot of things that are very normal ways to relieve stress and worry. Um, they couldn't go to church. So, uh, yeah, we're seeing a lot of ang anger. I, I, you know, look, I, I, I tend to write about the culture, so I don't look at it, you know, principally from a political perspective. Um, cool. But yeah, it, it just seems to me like I was talking about this with my partner the other day, and we were talking about when you when you're not at work, you know, the the problems that you usually face at work when you get home, you're like, all you're thinking about is, oh, I don't want to go to work tomorrow, I don't want to do this. But when you don't have that problem, when you aren't able to go to work all your problems, your mind creates these problems. They create this, uh, this friction within your own mind that has to find an outlet somewhere. And I feel like, as you said, with people not able to do anything that they normally do, they have to find an outlet and perhaps anger, violence, or uh, taking to the streets and protesting is, is the only way to sort of get that out. And I know that's not what we're here to talk about, but I'm just very interested to see what's happening in, in your fine country. Um, I was supposed to be there at this moment, actually. And Unfortunately, I'm not. I'm stuck in the bunker. But uh, but yeah, no, it does seem from an outside point of view, like it's all it's all happening there. Yeah, we have a lot of funny things coming together at once, unfortunately. And what you know, we certainly are in the middle of a mental health crisis facing our young people. We've never seen such high rates of suicide, depression, anxiety. And then you force them to stay at home mm. you tell them they can't see each other. They can't exercise. They can't go to school. They can't go to church. They can't relieve, you know, all what they have or have any way to put it in perspective. And so, you know, apparently, you know, the violence on our streets just goes with the news cycle right now. Sure. And it's a very, it's, it's, it's a very, it's a very unhealthy time, I think. Mm. Now, now your book, which I have right here, got on Amazon as well. I know you can't see it when it's doing these ones, but it's there. I can only show it if it's in, in front of me, but um, irreversible damage. I wanted to know, you're, you're, you're an author, you write for the Wall Street Journal. Why would you put yourself out there and write about something that you are not allowed to talk about? Everybody asks me that, it's so funny. So part of the reason I did this, for, first of all, a writer wrote, a reader wrote to me, a reader read a piece of mine and she said she had written to all kinds of other journalists. She was trying to get someone to take this issue on, but her daughter had gone off to college. The girl had had anxiety and depression and other mental health issues. 
but she had always been a very girly girl, very feminine and had boyfriends and whatnot. And all of a sudden in college, she decided with her friends that she was transgender and was starting a course of testosterone. And the woman told me there are a lot of women like her, you know, who a lot of parents just like her are experiencing the same thing with their daughters. And of course I found out she was right. There is an epidemic across the West of these young teenage girls who do not seem to have traditional gender dysphoria, but they decide with their friends, often after social media immersion that they're trans and they want hormones and surgeries. Um, I tried to get another journalist, you know, an investigative reporter to take it up and I couldn't do it is the short, yeah. short answer. Um, and I think it's a real phenomenon. I'll tell you that it wasn't personal for me. And that's part of the reason I was able to write about it. Um, that, that was sort of a lot of the reason I have trouble writing about is some issues that are too personal, but in a way, because it wasn't personal at all, it wasn't, it wasn't hard to write about. I, I didn't have any preconceived ideas. Perhaps that's like a really important part of it too, because you have so many people that you're, um, and this isn't the best way to describe it, but you're 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 speaking against, if you will, like the, the Twitter storm and, and the people who would be uh, very much against uh, your writing. Those people all seem to have skin in the game. They all seem to have it personally affect them, or uh, it's 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 directly in line with their political alliance, or it's what they need to believe. Um, and for someone who as my as as for me spends a lot of time on the internet for my job is it is it clear is the is the statistics there that more and more people are becoming gender dysphoric or they have gender dysphoria or are becoming transgender is that running with the times or is that is it more just more commonly reported now so the the numbers are 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 it's certainly the case that more people are you know, asking for hormones and surgeries, we can just see that. We can also see that more people are identifying as transgender. That, and, and we can also see that it's it's hitting a demographic we've never seen before in the entire 100-year history of gender dysphoria diagnosis, um, and that is teenage girls. These, this is a population. Remember, this is an ailment that always afflicted boys, it, it, male men and boys, and it began in early childhood. And for the first time in history, it's overwhelmingly affecting teenage girls. And it happens to be the very same population that um, that 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 finds themselves in the grips of every other hysteria, from you know anorexia to multiple personality disorder. These these you know, these things that girls magnify in each other by, sh by spreading their pain and, and self-diagnosing with a problem. And we, you know, earlier generations of girls said, oh, I'm so fat. If I were just less fat, I'd be happy. And today they say, oh, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so you know, gender dysphoric. If I only, if I was a boy, I wouldn't be so unhappy. Yeah, I, I'm someone who had uh, an issue with panic attacks for about two years. And the big thing for me was desperately trying to find an answer. And I mean, maybe this is just a layman's way of looking at the whole situation with transgenderism, but is this just young people trying to desperately find an answer to cure their problem? Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. So when we're in, you know, it's easy. You, you get a cut on your arm and you sort of, you know, think you know what the answer is, but you feel a, a mental distress, a psychological distress. It's hard to, you really want to find the answer. And the problem is it's very hard. And usually a prof, you, you would go to a mental health professional and they would give you a diagnosis. But today, first of all, they've been so corrupted by the, by this, you know, affirmative care, which means they have to agree with the patient's diagnosis. And these young generation of girls are going online and everything they're seeing are these influencers <clears throat> who tell, tell them the problem is that they should be a boy and they're believing it. 
Mm. I, th- I think it's important for people who are listening to this to know your thoughts. And, I, and I, I first saw you on Joe Rogan's podcast. I'm sure a lot of people were introduced to you there and it was a great conversation. Um, I'll get to this. I've got a, a quote here from the Men's Health um, website that went hard after Joe and yourself after that for some strange reason. But anyway, I'll get to that. Um, you you saw... <laughs> You made it very clear in the start of that that you are not against people who are transgender. This is about children. Yeah, it's about teenage girls. Look, I look, I probably know and have more friends who are, you know, um, transgender than the average person. I mean, that's, you know, I've talked to a lot of them, the course of them. And, and let me just say there's some, I've, I've met so many wonderful transgender people during the course of writing this book. Um, the, the activists really don't represent them. Um, so do I have any problem with tra- medical transition for adults? Absolutely not. I mean, mm. of course not. I, I, you know, that's not, I, I don't consider that even, you know, my business. So why did I, why did I, why do I have concerns about this? Because it's minor children making a decision. Um, they are able to get hormones and surgeries at very young age. They are doing a self-diagnosis. They are deciding they have gender dysphoria. And the professionals are agreeing with them and giving them whatever they ask for without exercising any independent medical judgment. And then at the end, they're not leading good lives. They're dropping out of school. They're cutting off their parents. They're miserable. And their anxiety and depression are getting worse, not better. Mm -hmm. I imagine, sorry, I imagine for a young, young, young woman that if you uh, have these, these issues within your own mind, whether it's uh, anxiety, depression, or you don't feel like you belong, and then you do something as drastic as change your gender. And then all of a sudden, they might go away for a couple of weeks. Let's say with testosterone, I know one of the things that happens when you start tasting, taking testosterone is your anxiety levels drop uh, to a certain extent. But all of a sudden, over time, these things start to reappear. You haven't addressed uh, the issue. You've put a Band-Aid on it. Uh, and then they come back up. Where does that leave someone in, in their in their mental scope? Like, where does that leave a young lady of 15, 16, 17, where they've made this drastic change and then all of a sudden the problems reappear? So that w- it leaves her with the next surgery. Okay. Well, if that surgery didn't work. So <clears> if I just get this surgery, it will cur- cure the dysphoria. First, they start with a binder. That doesn't work. They don't really look like a boy. Now I need testosterone. I know I can, and they fixate oh my gosh, this testosterone, it's going to cure me. They start testosterone, they feel great, but they have breasts. They've got to get those removed. They get those removed. And then it's just, it escalates. There's an endless number of surgeries you can buy, you can pay for, and you you basically just buy them because many surgeons don't even require a therapist note. So they're not even requiring a, an independent judgment that, what they, that the patient has accurately self-diagnosed with gender dysphoria. She comes in, she demands this. She's sure it will cure her, her the pain that she feels. She gets it. Yeah. I, I heard you on, uh, on Joe's podcast talking about the binders, which is basically like a corset to flatten the breasts in a young, in a young person. And I, I, I heard you talk about, okay, they, they don't even need a therapist's intervention or, or their thoughts on having breasts removed. And I, I thought to myself, okay, why is that? I, I, I guess maybe if you're getting your breasts removed, if you have a history of breast cancer in the family, okay, that sort of makes sense. But surely there has to be some sort of uh, nuance to that subject. You have to be able to go, okay, well, why do you want to get it done? Is it for a medical reason or is it for this particular psychological reason? Which brings me to this. And 
I don't think that a lot of people talk about the mental illness side of gender dysphoria and you are not allowed to say that being transgender is a mental illness. And I'm not saying that it's a mental illness because being a mental saint, I'm trying to, I know I'm freaking out with this, but I'm really trying to make this point because I don't want an article written about me. I've had enough of that over the last couple of months. Anyway, <laughs> the saying being transgender is a mental illness is a horrible thing to say because mental illness is something that is so um, looked down upon, if you will. I am someone who, as I said, had panic attacks. That's a mental illness. I don't think it is as bad of a situation as people would like come out and say that if you have a mental illness, it's a very bad thing and it's something negative to say about someone else. But if you believe that you are, um, you know, you wake up in the morning and you believe that you are, you're German, but you were born in America, you, you've never met a German person in your life, or you believe that your legs don't belong to you and you try to get them removed, that is seen as a mental illness, but changing your gender isn't. Do you think this is a mental illness or is it something, is it, is it just, you're just not allowed to say that because it seems like you're looking down on someone or being rude to them, or is it just not the case at all? I'm genuinely curious. So, so the activists, the, the ones who go hysterical about these issues, um, they want to have it both ways because they insist it's not a mental illness. But, but also they like that insurance covers it because it is a mental illness in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. So um, because <laughs> it's classified as a mental illness in America for whatever that means, meaning, you know, um, it's in the DSM, it's a category and that's why, you know, insurance will pay for it, pay for mm -hmm. these various surgeries. So, um, you know, people can get a hung up on whether that is stigmatizing or not, but it, it I don't think it should be stigmatizing no. to say that you have any kind of illness. That's just, that's silly. I mean, mm. I, I think that unfortunately, you know, there are stigmas, but they really shouldn't exist because, yeah. you know, we should, we should, or at least we should learn to rise above them. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. I, and I know I waffled on there for about 45 seconds too long, but I'm trying to get around that point where people yeah. can't go in hard after you for being a, uh, for being a bigot. But <laughs> I, I wanted to cover um, what, well, sorry, I, I, go on. You know, if you're worried about people going after you for being a bigot, someone will probably go after you. But oh, yeah. I, I think what we should worry about is whether we really are bigots, not yeah. whether someone will say we are. Because people say all kinds of stupid things. And, you know, the, the important thing really is whether we are being bigoted. And I think that's, it's very clear that worrying about a mental health issue facing teenage girls is not a bigoted thing uh, to do. That's mm. a, it's a very good point. And I mean, I've, I've, I've made a lot of videos in the past on transgender issues, whether it happens to be uh, transgender athletes, which I'm very, I, I'm, you know, it, it, to me, it's obvious, you know, you don't want, a someone who's lived 30 years as a man to go up against um, uh, women uh, in a sport, particularly a, a combat sport or a, a very physical sport. That just sort of makes sense to me. But you go out and say that on the internet, you get uh, absolutely like a lot of most people agree with you, but the vocal minority come after you very hard with those type of things. And I, you know, I've been called everything from uh, transphobic, homophobic, just because of these sort of these 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 beliefs or these thoughts or or maybe not even the beliefs but the conversation like you can't have the conversation which is crazy well you can't have the conversation because it's not just obvious to you that that it's unsafe for women to participate in say rugby with men it's it's obvious to everyone hmm. so if they if the activists ever allow a calm and sober conversation they will lose 
because it is so obvious that that is incredibly dangerous for women. So they have to keep everything ad hominem and at a fever pitch in order to prevent the conversation ever from occurring at all. Mm. Does this just go back to belonging to something? people desperately trying to find something to belong to and whether, you know, whether it is becoming transgender or even just finding a political party that you throw all of your beliefs behind? I think there are a lot of, a lot of factors at play. I think that people are in tremendous pain today. There's a tremendous amount of psychological pain afflicting our young people, specifically, you know, Gen Z. You see very, very high levels, you know, so the, the, those kids born in 1995 and after, you see very, very high levels of suicidal ideation, depression, anxiety, and whatnot. Um, I think they're in genuine pain. I think that they spend way too much time on the internet and way too little time with each other. So they don't comfort each other in the same ways and they don't gain comfort for themselves in the same ways. They also don't come to learn about themselves the way you do when you're alone riding your bike. They're always on the internet. So they're always diverting their attention from self-reflection or mm -hmm. reflection even with a friend. They're engaged in a lot of really unhealthy behaviors. Um, and, and so there really isn't a way to get out of this constant loop of thinking about themselves all the time, which is what they're sitting at home and doing. It, it is because I, I have younger brothers. I'm 27 and they're all under 20. And I, I see them and I hear about things that have happened to their school and, and young people. And, and it is, it does concern me for someone who's at the age where I may have children in the next couple of years, you know, like that is concerning to see that, so many people feel so alone, even though they're more connected than ever. And I, I wonder if like having constant stimulus in your ears, whether you're listening to podcasts or you're, you're watching YouTube videos and, and not having that moment of um, reflection or, or, or even reading, you know, making reading a novel, coming up with ideas of how someone looks in your own mind, something as simple as that, um, being alone in nature, these type of things that, that kids just don't seem to be doing. And they, they, they find that they, they need to have, they need to toe the party line. They need to believe a certain thing. They're being taught these things in school that maybe they don't believe in. I mean, it's a scary time to be a kid, particularly, you know, as this attack on, um, on you know, the, the, on the normal ideas, the general consensus of the population. Uh, as that continues, I mean, I don't know where it ends, but it certainly is, is damaging and, and, and terrifying for, for young people. But it I mean, is. It's very scary. I mean, remember that, the, the, you know, in school, they have to reach the right opinion. Yes. They know the conclusion. They don't. It, it's so anti-intellectual. The journey is not allowed. What they must know is the destination. They all have to agree on that. And it's very scary. And, um, you know, we're living in a time where the answer is all that matters. It doesn't matter how you get there or even if it's right, but you must all say it. And that's true with gender. That's what's allowed us to say such ridiculous things like a girl is really a boy if she says so. I mean, when you talk to older people who transition, what we used to call transsexuals, they never pretended they were always male or female. They would never say that. I mean, I talk to them. What they will say is, I grew up as a boy, but I'm now most comfortable presenting as a woman. This made, you know, but they, they don't pretend their childhoods didn't happen. Mm. Yeah. I, I was I was watching your Twitter after I invited you on the show and, and well, I followed you and, and uh, saw uh, a gentleman by the name of Jack Turban or Turden. Um, uh, I don't know, I'm not sure. I think he was a child psychologist for memory. And he came hard after your book and, and you refuted each... Um, 
each uh, sort of attack that he made as he read through it and, and he, you know, publicized it on Twitter. But I get it. I, I get that if you learn your entire life and you learn through college and you learn all these, all these years that this is, you know, you know, two plus two is four. And then all of a sudden you come along and say, no, 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 that's incorrect. Or this is not what we think it is. I get how people freak out. Like men's health after you went on Joe Rogan's podcast said, take the, uh, the recent episode. During Shire's uh, conversation with Rogan, in which she promoted her book, Irreversible Damage, which is also in the link below, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, go and check it out. Uh, the transgender craze seducing our daughter, Shrya. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I very much yes, apologize you are. if I'm not. It's, it's very <laughs> early in the morning here. Um, uh-huh. Invalidated the lived experience of trans and non-binary kids and teens. So straight away with this article, they're going to, to play like, you're the boogeyman. You're coming after kids. You're coming after kids who are damaged. Like you're a bad person and made numerous dangerous, entirely unsound, false equivalencies. So I guess what they're saying is what you say in your book is so bad, is so unfound. Is it? Or do you just, are you able to back it up with uh, peer reviewed research? Are you able to back it up with, with anything? Well, the book's full of research, but it's a very silly claim. I mean, how could I possibly invalidate the lived experience of anyone? I don't, right? But I did present evidence and I presented a lot of research and I talked to a lot of experts about what's really going on. That doesn't invalidate anyone's, you know, look, one legitimate response to my, me, if you want to criticize me is to say, okay, that's, that's what you found, but my experience was different. And I would say, okay, maybe it is. I haven't, I haven't interviewed you yet. Sure. But they're saying, I'm not allowed to have the conversation of whether some of these girls are being pushed to transition who do not have genuine gender dysphoria. We can't talk about that because it makes me feel bad. Mm. There are a bunch of biological men. That's who these activists typically are. And they say it makes them feel bad if we talk about a mental health illness, a mental health problem facing teenage girls. That's not only absurd, it's, it's, really, it's really wrong. I mean, that the idea that they should be able to shut down conversation about what's going on with these girls and even inquiry into it is 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 really a very presumptuous um position Hmm. to take and the the the, one of the things that sort of it's always shocking to me and this may be a massive generalization and this is completely off topic but most of the people who go after you for your book or me for my videos or jordan peterson for for for, uh, rejecting uh the the canadian bill is straight white dudes who just don't seem to find something that they can grab onto in life something that you know they genuinely are quite weak-minded individuals and that's sort of this is their thing their activism is their outlet into the world or a reason for people to give value to their life or value to their own life activism is their way of doing it it's so like if i make a joke on stage if, if it is considered a racist joke the people who the joke is about that particular race aren't the ones who are offended. It's always white dudes. That's what it always is. It's just white dudes who are angry at like a, a section of white dudes, if you know what I mean. I know you. I know I'm sort of waffling once again, but what I'm trying to say is it seems like the people who are coming after you or anyone who disagrees with this is the exact same type of person, a young 25-year-old white dude who doesn't seem to find something to gravitate towards within his life other than activism. Right. And so in my case, they aren't, they aren't all straight and they aren't all cisgender. Um, They are white men by and large. 
Um, and some of the people who have come after me are people who are have invested their professional lives in promoting affirmation, meaning, in, you know, agreeing with a, a minor child's self-diagnosis and, and ushering in a, a, a course of treatment that involves, you know, double mastectomy and hormones. Mm. Um, so they have very good reason to be upset, I think, if they're, you know, I, I mean, they, they have reason to be upset if they're activists because they're pushing an agenda. My problem is that they shouldn't have an agenda at all. In fact, if I, if I, I think the reaction to my book ought to be by these activist doctors and activist therapists, it really should be, wow, I should look at this. Let me make sure that none of my patients who I see falls into this category because I wouldn't want to push someone toward this treatment who doesn't really belong in this category. So let me just make sure I don't think this applies to my patients, but you know, but but let me just check and make sure. Instead, they will say, "Her, your publisher should drop you." They will call me names. They will try to whip up a mob against me. They will harass me in every way they can. That's not actually how doctors and and scientists typically are supposed to behave. Mm. They seem much more interested in shutting me up and shutting me down than they do seem to be about double checking on the mental welfare of their own patients. Yeah. There has to be a possibility that they're incorrect or you're incorrect. And that conversation is so important. Like I, I am shocked by how many people refuse to allow their beliefs to slightly differ, you know, as they, as they age. Like if you're not changing the way you feel about subjects as you get older or as you learn more, like are you learning more? Are you becoming more intelligent? Or are you just sort of just sinking into this mud that is your, your beliefs, your circle of friends, your... Uh, the people you follow on Facebook, like you just you just stuck in the mud in that sort of situation where okay, if I sort of get out of this idea or these ideologies, then I will be cast away from the group. I will be sent away. I will never be spoken to again because, as as I'm sure you know, if you make one um, if you make one stride away from the company line or the, or the, the the party line, you will be sent sent to the bush to 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 just perish. Um, right. I think, I think they are afraid of being cut out of the group. They do get excommunicated by other, you know, trans activists if they don't go along with, you know, everything, but there's something else too. If these girls are in genuine pain and they are, um, and if some of the activists note that I'm saying that a lot of these girls who are in pain are inaccurately diagnosing, uh, being inaccurately diagnosed or in a, in accurately diagnosing themselves, then I guess it scares them to think, what if they are inaccurately diagnosed? Maybe they have a different mental health, health issue that's not being addressed. And um, I don't think that's a reason to tell me not to have the conversation, but I guess they find it threatening to that they don't already have the answer to all their problems because they insist the answer to all their problems is medical transition. Mm. So, okay, what is the issue at large here? Why is it so dangerous for a young you know, 14 year old to start having testosterone replacement therapy, or not replacement therapy, but testosterone treatment. Uh, why is it so dangerous to uh, cement this, ch this change, this uh, chemical change within them? Why is this such a bad thing? Or, or, or why can't so, these people just do it and change and everyone be happy? So the biggest problem is that this population of girls doesn't have real gender dysphoria. So they are not being cured by medical transition. 
I'm not talking about transgender adults who went through mental health therapy and decided to transition for various reasons. I'm talking about a population of girls who's in the grips of a social contagion. And because they are misdiagnosing their problem, they're not being cured by things like testosterone. Now, there are a lot of things that testosterone does to, to the body that are very bad and very dangerous, but the biggest problem is that it's not a cure for the problem they think they have, which isn't actually their problem, okay? Because if they were going on to lead great lives and they were much happier, I wouldn't have written the book. But the other, the, the, things, that, the things that testosterone does to the body is that it does, you know, um, it does uh, it put them at much greater risk of heart attack, it, um, you know, it, it, it does deliver a euphoria. So they feel bold and they feel good, but it can lead to infertility, especially because, you know, it, it puts them at high risk of things like endometrial cancer. And then they will, um, you know, a doctor will very often recommend a prophylactic hysterectomy. Um, so, you know, that, that, that is one way. If they go straight from puberty blockers to cross sex hormones, then they absolutely eliminate their, their fertility. But if they just go straight to what, what testosterone, um, it will, you know, they may need a, a hysterectomy, in which case, um, you know, that, you know, for no chance of having children, but it also alters your facial features, private anatomy. It just it gives you permanent facial and body hair. It's got a lot of problems. Yeah, I bet. It sounds like, um, it sounds like the, the, the problems facing young women uh, at this at this moment, and obviously I don't know what I'm talking about on the subjects of the problems of facing young women, but it seems like there is a lot going on and I, I saw just before we, we, we came onto this podcast I saw you tweet about uh, a subject that I've been quite outspoken about which is OnlyFans and I've um, I've basically come out and a lot and just said this is a bad thing to look up to this is a bad thing to go you know this is and, and I don't want to sound like an asshole here I don't want to sound like I'm a, just this horrible piece of shit but like to see all these people making money on by selling nude photos of themselves and and, and hey if you want to do that cool whatever but don't pretend that it's this big like this amazing thing you've done and you you're an entrepreneur and you're building your empire like you're selling titty pics like it's not a good thing to be doing <laughs> i just i don't think it's great for young women to see that and go well that's you know that's always an option for me uh, to, to move toward. Right. And we're seeing young girls do this and make this decision at 18, 19, 20, when so many of us did something stupid, but now they have to live with it forever. A picture they sent out is out there forever, but these girls are sending out nudie pics at very young age where they're getting pictures at very young ages. Now I'm not talking about only fans now, but you know, even just, you know, they've been sending nude pics out for years. So now they're doing, they don't mind doing it for profit and partly because they have been doing it for years. Um, we, social media is so bad for teenage girls specifically because of the way teenage girls, they, they're very susceptible to, they, they, we know they have very high rates of anxiety, depression, you know, and self-harm. And we know that it's connected to this constant um, feeling of missing out that the internet creates, constant comparison, constant feel, feeling that they're not good enough because of social media. And I think, you know, things like OnlyFans just feed into that. Yeah, I, I, I know from talking to my partner about it, she's always said that she would have rather at high school been a boy to deal with how men deal with each other at a young age rather than how young women do. It seems like it's a vicious place. Well, you know, one of the things that really surprised me when I, when I did my interviews and, and talked to young people was that it turned out, and, you know, this is just 
anecdotal, but from my, my investigation, it turned out that the problem of sudden trans identification, this social contagion, was not better at girls' schools than it was at co-educational schools, meaning that the pressure that these girls felt was not coming from the boys in their class because actually you would see it spread through girls' schools very, very fast. Large proportions of the, of the student class, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth grade, well, we, sorry, um, to translate for you, I guess ages 12, 13, 14, these, these girls all of a sudden deciding they were transgender and it's because those are the toughest ages, those are the toughest years for young girls. Um, uniformly, the only difference today is that they don't know that this is totally normal to hate your body at that age and it, they have all these options presented to them. Oh, if you don't like your body, maybe you're transgender, maybe you're non-binary, maybe, maybe you're gender non-conforming. They're always invited to pick something else and they're told that they can actually choose something else. I think this book's really important for someone like even myself, who if I have daughters in the next couple of years, you know, I, 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 I want to... When I'm a father, I want to be able to teach my daughters that, hey, listen, you can do absolutely anything in this world if you put your heart and your soul into it. That's my genuine belief with, with anything. And, you know, people, uh, you can you can in a lot of situations go, hey, I'm not getting this or I'm not getting that, that job, this job because I'm a woman or whatever. But if you really put your mind to it and get in there and give it the best crack you can, you will find yourself in a good position rather than playing the victim. But also, I don't know anything about young women at all. And to have this book here is very, very important because if someone, if my child or someone's child went to them and said, hey, listen, I, th I think I might be this or I might be that, it gives them at least a resource to, question is probably the wrong word, but um, have a conversation with their child. And I think a lot of parents are terrified of the repercussions or uh, of saying to them no you're not you're not trans you're not transgender you're not a boy or you're not a girl i think that's something that they're they're most terrified of like if you that's right i almost never came across it i almost i don't know if i came across a single parent who said to their kid no that's ridiculous in fact most parents would tell me they came from they were progressive politically progressive <clears throat> and they would usually tell me if i asked them what would your mother have said if you had said that to her they, they would say something like oh my mom would never have put up with it but i said to my daughter, oh, honey, okay, well, we'll talk about it. Let's see, maybe you're right, that kind of thing. And they're very afraid to, they're really afraid to offend their daughters. They're really afraid to come across as anti-LGBTQ. And they're really afraid to hurt, you know, that their daughters will lose that special connection that they feel, that friendship with their daughters. They're very, very close to their daughters. The problem is that their daughters are relying on them very often to set boundaries. To, to be a reality check, to say, listen, I, I empathize with you. I feel, I, I appreciate what you're going through. That must be hard, but we're not going to, you know, that, that doesn't mean you're a boy. Mm. I, I, you know, and I can't, I can't pretend you're really by a lot. You're, you're really a boy. You're still my daughter. You're still a girl, but, but let's talk about why you're feeling this way. Um, they're not even allowing themselves to do that. Uh, it must be a hard conversation to have, particularly for fathers to talk to young daughters. I know that there's a couple of girls that um, that I know from my local area who took the OnlyFans route, uh, that type of thing, and they post on uh, Instagram about how important it is to be a sex worker and everyone must respect me. And this one girl said her father's really proud of her, her business that she's created around OnlyFans. And I guess it comes down to that thing of not wanting to lose that relationship with your kids again. But 
but but surely this is this is bad for young women and it seems to be a vicious cycle of that these people are going to be parents one day what does that do to their children Right. So there's two things going on. One, the moms are very afraid of losing that friendship. They're, they're, they're my generation, they're Gen X, and they consider themselves psychologically attuned, and they really love their friendship with their daughter, and they really are afraid of losing it. But the, the men, the, the fathers, are deeply concerned for their daughters, but they're often afraid to say anything. They think the moment their daughters want to take testosterone, or they're a little, they're a little weirded out, they're afraid, and they tend to um, actually withdraw a little bit. They are a little <laughs> bit, they just think this isn't my, I don't know what's going on here. This must be a woman's issue. I'm, you know, I, I don't have anything to say. So nobody is establishing any boundaries for the, for the young person in, in terms of, in, in terms of reality. They're not saying, they never say to her, listen, I know you say you're pansexual, but you're 13 years old. Okay. So yeah. Don't go making any announcement online in front of thousands of people. Why don't you just enjoy your adolescence? If you, you know, when you're an adult, you can decide whatever se your sexuality is, whatever your gender identity is. We could talk about when you're an adult, but right now you're 13. Mm -hmm. They're afraid to set those boundaries uh, very often. And sexuality has become so important for young people. It seems um, like when I was, you know, 13 or 14, it's not obviously, you know, if you're a straight person, maybe you don't think about it at all. But if you're, you know, uh, if you're a young person now, 13, 14 years old, it's almost like you have to, you have to be, maybe this is because of the lack of religion in, in schools and in young people. I'm not a religious person, but I'm always, I always talk about the fact that, you know, since religion hasn't been as important to people, they have to find something to grab onto. It's a, it's a natural human trait to have something that you invest all your time and your energy into believing a higher power, whether that's a political alliance in, in, in this sort of respect. And if you're a young person, you, you start thinking, oh, I'm pansexual, I'm this, I'm that. Why are there so many labels? Why are you labeling yourself? Why, why is that such an important thing? Why is that an attribute that is so important in your circle of friends? So the easiest answer is social media, that, that you have to have a something for your bio in social media. So everybody needs a label. Um, of course, in real life, you didn't need these labels apart from social media. So when I was growing up, I, I don't think I was ever asked my so sexuality, you know, you know I, that didn't mean we didn't talk about boys and girls, whatever. But um, there weren't these questions, people didn't ask each other. But today, the second a girl has a short haircut, she's asked, are you trans? Are you gender nonconforming? What's your label? Um, and as someone who was a, you know, I was very much a tomboy. Nobody ever asked if there, if I was really a boy or if I identified. No, and that was never, never came up. Yeah, yeah. And, and labeling everything has become so aggressive um, that everyone thinks they need to choose their label, and they're choosing it before they even get to know themselves, before they even go out into the world, before they go get to know who they're attracted to. Um, it, it's, you know, you mentioned religion. I think there's a huge. I do think religion is playing a part, the lack of religion is playing a part. We've never seen religion make less of an influence, you know, fewer people are identify as religious now in America than, than we've seen in decades, certainly. And I, I do think that plays a role because people are searching for something. They want a tribe to belong to. Um, and, and this gives them an answer. Yeah, and I, th I think it's a, it's a, it's something that you don't have it like there's no answer for the, the the savior of this whole situation it's not something that's going to be fixed overnight which i, I guess you, yeah sorry, sorry go on. no 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 sorry 
what I was going to say was, I guess this brings me to, to my final point in this podcast is what's next for you? You've put this book out. You've, 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 you've raised many, many questions that people are like, oh my God, let's not talk about that. Let's freaking out. And it's sort of like, it is like that. I know there's this old school mentality of particularly with men, like that's women's business. I'm not listening to that. That's women's business. I don't want anything to do with that. You've become, you've become this, 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 this voice for young women who maybe, you know, just, they just don't get what's going on inside their mind. And I know you've had issues with um, uh, your publisher being uh, people going after your publisher. Have you had issues with the book being canceled off particular websites as well? Yeah. Okay. So I mean, yeah, they're, they're very aggressive, but the, the good thing is I'm reaching the moms and the dads. I'm reaching a lot of parents it's an important book for parents to read, I think, because it tells you, I, I did a really deep dive into the school system, into the culture and into a looking at adolescents. And I learned a lot of things. Look, I'm a parent, but I learned a lot of things I didn't know. There's a lot in there about what's really going on and how much activism, you know, agenda-driven um, activism has really come to dominate psycho psychology, psychiatry, um, endocrinology, and, and schools. So it's, it's everywhere and, and parents really need to take the reins back and take over, you know, you know, their, their own way of raising their children. I mean, they really need to assert themselves mm. um, because they, they really can't rely on experts. Beautiful. So tell me this, what are you working yeah. on now? I'm, I'm working on, I'm starting to work on another book about, again, about this generation um, because they, they really are interesting to me. They seem to be in a lot of pain. Um, and I, I, you know, I'm going to, I don't want to go into too much detail because I haven't, but I, but I, uh, I, I am really interested in who they are and why, why they came to be the way they are and, um, and, and where they're headed. So I think that's, that's what I'll work on next. Very interesting. Now, how can people find you? Where can they see you? Where can they buy your book? There will be a link down below for people in Australia, the Amazon link. I think that's probably the best place. Is that correct? Yes, that's the best place. The Amazon link. You can buy my book there and um, I'm available on Twitter. It's just at Abigail Schreier. Beautiful. Abigail, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. And best of luck dealing with the angry mobs. Um, I'm sure you'll be fine. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Cheers. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, Abigail Schreier's book is available on Amazon uh, in Australia. And the link is, I think it's pretty similar uh, for the American link as well, uh, or the UK link. I think it's all pretty much the same. I'm sure Amazon sorts it out for you. You can find it, but irreversible damage right there. Good book. Uh, not a bad read, ladies and gents. And uh, an interesting conversation. Um, I mean, it seems to be one of those things that we just can't really talk about. Or I mean, obviously, we can talk about it, but it's uh, not. It's not seen as kosher to talk about it. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the poor Buttsman, little old me, I woke up this morning and there was a rat dropping in the kitchen. So I've got to go deal with that. I've got to go deal with the rat, well, not deal with it, but I've already dealt with it. But I've got to go to Bunnings and sort out how to catch this dirty little bastard. So uh, hope you have a nice day because I'm feeling like a killer. I'm going after those dirty... I don't know what I'm talking about. Ladies and gentlemen, be a good motherfucker. Peace in the Middle East, we dig stinks. I'll see you all very soon. Keep it moist. Uh, don't forget the merch drop. The link is down below. toodle wa wa Hey. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 